0: This is episode 27 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Brian Benrose. I'm going to start with the elephant in the room. The observant among this show's producers might have noticed that there wasn't an angry tech news last week. This is not the first time that my poor planning has caused delays with the show, but it is the first time that it ran headlong into a cold or flu that put me in bed for four days. The show takes a variable amount of time to produce before I can record, dependent mainly on how deep my research rabbit holes go. The solution, of course, is to start working on it sometime before Tuesday afternoon, If anybody out there has tips for how a lifelong procrastinator can do that, please let me know. Subscribers to Angry Tech News Feed were not entirely without Bemrose for the whole week, though. My brother Bemlet and I have been talking about doing movie reviews for a while now. Truth be told, we do that anyway when we talk about movies, so really the only question was whether to record it. We did record one of those conversations, wherein I gave rant about a movie that I consider an affront to a 1990 Paul Verhoeven masterpiece, and Bemlet thought it was a perfectly passable standalone action flick as long as you thought about nothing else. There hasn't been much response so far from those of you who listened, but what there was was positive. Someone did accuse me of mispronouncing one of the actors' names. They say I kept putting the D in Kate Beckinsale. All I'm going to say is that I'm not one to brag. For the fourth week in a row, four out of every five news stories has been about various tech companies inexplicably putting the screws to Russia. Most of the time, the move makes no financial sense, cutting off a revenue stream in a large overseas market. It's not particularly ethical to hose over millions of innocent people just because you think their president is an asshole. The only explanation I have is that the decision makers of all these companies are still stuck in that mass formation psychosis that Facebook fact checkers kept telling us doesn't exist and have dragged their companies onto the woke activist bandwagon. Destination bankruptcy. From the playing with fire department, Gabriel Weinberg, the founder of DuckDuckGo search engine, has decided to cash out. Having realized that he'll never beat Google on such things as honesty, integrity, or ethics, he's decided to just shut down the whole engine. Or so I infer from his announcement last week on Twitter that DuckDuckGo will start censoring search results. For years, DuckDuckGo has sold itself mainly as a privacy search engine. They say that they don't track search users, and I believe them. Maybe not enough to let them run JavaScript and set cookies in my browser, but close. But their other big marketing point, things that Google does but DDG won't, is that they won't do personalized search. Personalized search is what... DuckDuckGo calls a filter bubble, just a form of filtering the results. Personalized searching is widely regarded as destructive to society. It's, well, actually, I'll just let this paragraph from DuckDuckGo.com explain it. When you search, you expect unbiased results, but that's not what you get on Google. So if you have political leanings one way or the other, you're more likely to get results you already agree with and less likely to see opposing viewpoints. In the aggregate, this leads to increased echo chambers that are significantly contributing to our increasingly polarized society. This filter bubble is especially pernicious in a search context because you have the expectation that you're seeing what others are seeing and that you're seeing the results. On DuckDuckGo, we are committed to not putting you in the filter bubble. Now, to be clear, I think what they're trying to say here is that they don't filter differently based on who you are and what you've searched for. And that's laudable. But lots of people seem to have interpreted avoiding the filter bubble to mean that DuckDuckGo doesn't filter the information you see through some sort of biased political thought sensor. According to Weinberg, they do. They just do it equally for everyone. Which raises the obvious question, if DuckDuckGo downgrades Russian propaganda like they said they do, then what else have they downgraded over the last two years? For a large part of DuckDuckGo's user base, simply asking that question, regardless of the answer, has now evaporated a large portion of the company's trust. It cannot be understated how devastating this is to a company in the internet age. Online reputation and trust is all that an internet property has. Once you lose it, it's very difficult to get back. So much that the rational part of my mind is stuck on the quandary of why. Why would a CEO want to do that much damage to their own company with one single tweet? I simply don't see the financial upside, the marginal benefit of getting other woke people to use the service combined with the vanishingly useless benefit of signaling your virtue for the cause of the moment does not outweigh the permanent damage amongst users who want freedom of information and will never trust your company again. It has to be that Weinberg is still stuck in that hysteria because otherwise, what possible reason could he have to say this publicly and erase the one thing the company had going for it? We're not Google. We don't use search results to propagandize you. Gabriel Weinberg, you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. This story came up in my research last week, but I decided it was important enough, even if a bit stale, to report it again today, because it changed my thinking about search engines. Longtime listeners of this show and of my previous show, Grumpy Old Benz, know that DDG has always been my go-to search engine. Google and Bing are far too corporate, privacy invading, and they censor content, which is a deal breaker. There is no corporation which I trust to do my thinking for me. I'm an adult. Let me decide what is real or fake. I started to have my own doubts about DDG's neutrality during the COVID times when particular information, especially so-called medical misinformation that later turned out to be true, didn't appear in their searches, which, by the way, is why for controversial topics, I always run the search on multiple engines if I want information. So, I find myself needing a new search engine. The good news is that when I asked out on No Agenda Social, I got a ton of excellent recommendations. And I know you're dying to hear what I've learned, judging by the number of people who always ask me what search engine I use. So, bottom line, I'm still evaluating. For daily search, it looks like it's going to be either Brave or Quant. If I want to dip into the Google Index without getting Google all over me, Start page is my go-to. And honorable mention to Sir X which is not a search index per se, but rather is open source software you can install locally and which aggregates results from dozens of other search engines. Setting one of these up and playing with it is definitely on my to-do list, but that's for another time. For now, if you want to try it, you can play with one of the many public decentralized instances listed on their page. Some recommendations I tried but didn't pan out. I tried pre-search, but I didn't get past their front page, which requires JavaScript to simply enter text into the text box. Discover HTML, guys. Yandex was even worse. They decided because I'm not running JavaScript that I must be a bot. So instead of a search page, I got redirected to a captcha. How about no? Somebody also suggested an engine called Swiss Cows, which the marketing on their front page labels them as a family-friendly search engine. Their about page says they hate pornography. So not my cup of tea, but worth mentioning. If you're going to use a filtered search engine, at least do it for the right reasons. (laughs) From the with blackjack and hookers department. Years ago, Google dealt a devastating blow to the decentralized internet when they convinced everyone that unencrypted content is evil. In the early internet, anybody could put up a web page, and someone who knew the address could visit that page, and there wasn't a damn thing anybody in the middle could do about it as long as the packets were routed. The only centralized authority was the domain name system, and even that could be routed around if you knew the IP address. Then along came TLS and HTTPS, fancy acronyms that mean your web data is encrypted. That encryption came with two purported benefits. The first was that your data could not be intercepted or changed in transit, extremely useful for things like passwords or banking data, not so important for static text and images. The second advertised benefit was that encryption would guarantee that the server on the other end is who they claimed to be. It does this by digitally signing the content with an encryption key, which is digitally signed by another key, and so on. If the keychain ends at a trusted root key stored in the browser or the OS, then the page is assumed to be authentic. To host a web server with TLS, a web admin needs to get a cert from a Certificate Authority, or CA, who holds a signing certificate linked up to one of these browser trusted roots. These certificates expire after a period of time. So the admin has to keep going back year after year to renew the CA issues, your certificate, and it can revoke or simply refuse to renew your cert as well. Pretty much the exact opposite of decentralized. And so citing online safety, Google convinced us all to look for the little TLS lock icon on every web page we visit. They enforced this using their Chrome browser, the de facto standard for how the web works, to show the unencrypted sites in scary bright red with lots of warnings. Eventually, Chrome refused to load unencrypted sites at all, thus cementing yet another layer of centralized authority into the infrastructure of the Internet. And now this centralization is assisting in the current coordinated economic attack on Russian civilians, As certificates expire, sites located in Russia are unable to get renewed with cert authorities in the West. Some CAs are refusing to renew, and even if a CA is willing, Russian citizens are unable to pay for it because of financial restrictions. And so the Russian government is issuing its own root certificate, with blackjack and hookers according to unnamed sources. Using a certificate linked to this new root cert, sites could stay online in the TLS-only world. But of course, there's a hitch. As I said, valid certs must be changed to a trusted root, and I think we can safely assume Google will not be adding the Russian CA to Chrome anytime soon. Right now, the only browsers that support the new CA are the Russia-based Yandex browser and Atom, which is open source. So here we are, fast approaching a world where you need one browser to read sites based in Russia and a different browser for other sites. You effectively get two separate internets. One censored by Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook, and the other controlled by the Russian government. Now that I put it that way, I'm honestly not sure which one sounds more ominous. Perhaps we need a third internet, and while we're at it, maybe a fourth, fifth, sixth. Sounds like a pain in the ass, but look at the bright side. At least we'll have brought back decentralization. From the sarcasm on tap department. Just a few other headlines that I need to clear out of my browser tabs. In what I interpret as a valiant attempt to put more public attention on the looming California energy crisis, General Motors is partnering with Pacific Gas and Electric to implement bidirectional charging for its electric vehicles. This technology will enable electricity to safely flow out of the EV's batteries and back into the house during times when PG&E is too incompetent to keep the power grid working and is a tacit admission that automakers are far more competent to manage the grid than anybody at PG&E. The announcement was, of course, wrapped up in a thick layer of environmental buzzwords, lauding the benefits of yet another tool in their arsenal to keep the public scared of climate change. They hope to have the technology working and rolled out all across California by 2026, allowing the state to use millions of plugged-in electric vehicles as a grid storage for green power like solar and wind in lieu of actual grid storage systems or maybe clean and stable power generation like nuclear, thus helping to solve one of the major problems that was created by climate change activists. Next, like many U.S. automakers, Ford Motors has been hit hard by the current chip shortage, owing mainly to the fact that modern automobiles are approximately 37% silicon chips by weight, according to unnamed sources. The problem is that the lots at Ford's Otis assembly plant are filling up with finished car and truck cars and trucks finished in that they've got four wheels, an engine and a steering wheel, but not necessarily heated seats, rear passenger climate controls, or the engine auto stop start feature that is such a hit with people stuck in stop and go traffic in an effort to ease parking space at the plant. Ford started shipping the incomplete vehicles to dealerships last July promising that they'd ship the missing pieces and make the cars sellable within a few months. When the chips failed to materialize, the company has now decided to start selling the vehicles to customers as is at a discount, with the missing chip-based features as options to be added later. Which sounds to me like a fantastic deal for someone itching to get into a new F-150 who doesn't mind a few missing amenities. If, on the other hand, you can't live without the rear seats having their own heat and AC controls, you may have to wait a bit longer. Next up, the U.K.'s Financial Conduct Authority is cracking down on illegal crypto coin ATMs. According to CoinATM Radar, there are 81 functional crypto ATMs in the U.K., mostly Bitcoin cash machines, that the FCA says that it never issued a license to operate. Thus, by the ironclad rule that government must have its fingers in everything, the FCA ordered that all such machines must be removed or it will, quote, take action under the UK's anti-money laundering laws. Quote, We regularly warn consumers that crypto assets are unregulated and high risk, which means that people are very unlikely to have any protection if things go wrong. People should be prepared to lose all their money if they choose to invest in them. A sage warning, I suppose, caveat emptor. Of course, the same may easily be said of the US dollar or the euro these days. Take your risk where you can get it. The next web reported on yet another story hitting the intersection of two things that I love to rant about. Internet of things and automatic updates. This time hitting a model of AEG steam ovens. I mean microwave ovens. Well, I'm not actually sure what I mean. An engineer at the German appliance company AEG reportedly fat fingered an auto update script Sending a steam oven firmware update over the air to all devices in the Benelux. That's Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg to my ignorant American listeners. And yes, I did have to look that up. To all devices with model number AEGKMK968. Screw it. Find the model number in the show notes. Anyway, the interesting bit is that every one of those devices were actually microwave ovens. And as you might guess, flashing a microwave oven with firmware intended for a steam oven did not grant the devices the functionality of either one. And owners of said devices woke up the next morning to their microwave ovens bricked, unresponsive to commands, and the text "steam oven" on their display. Because the appliances were bricked so hard that they were unable to connect to Wi-Fi to take another firmware update, the company is now sending technicians to every customer's home to repair the device manually for free. And finally, ZDNet is reporting that Linux has finally come to the Apple M1 chip. Asahi Linux has released its first public alpha based on the ARM build of Arch Linux, targeting Apple M1, M1 Pro, and M1 Max devices. The current build is designed to target developers who want to work on the platform. The distro currently does not have support for the GPU, camera, touch bar, or USB 3, nor the DisplayPort Thunderbolt or HDMI ports. It also doesn't support the Apple Neural Engine, so no Beowulf clusters of these things yet. They also noted that because it is an Apple chip, the installer must use Apple's phone home functionality to connect to Apple servers for quote certain components during installation and to verify that you paid too much for the hardware. So if you're just itching to operate a computer with extremely specialized and overpriced hardware with none of the software that it's designed for and no access to most of the components, then buddy, Your time is now. Huge thanks this week to Sir Spud the Mighty, Rhett Vandenberg, Charles Clavino, Steve Edwards, Curtis Peterson, and Don Mills for supporting Angry Tech News, even when I wasn't able to put out a show. You producers are the people to whom I owe an apology for missing an episode, and boy, do you have it. As for the rest of you, Angry Tech News is produced on the Value for Value model, we don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen. But we are funded by your donations. If you got value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to AngryTechNews.com and click on the Donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's 10 bucks or 100 bucks. And if you enjoyed the movie review, please let us know whether it's worth doing again, possibly as a regular show, although not ATN. I don't intend to clutter up this feed again. And as always, if you hated the movie review then shut up and keep your opinions to yourself. We at Angry Tech News don't believe in hurting others' feelings needlessly. That's all I've got for today. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry